When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here live from sunny Los Angeles. I am with Myron Metcalf joining me via Skype. And Myron, um, my skin is already golden and beautiful, and I've only been here a few hours. How are you? Don't brag, man. Come on. You, you know we've been dealing with sub-zero temperatures in, in, in Minneapolis, man. That, that's not fun. You know what I did yesterday? I played basketball outside. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is beautiful here. Uh, let's not discuss the traffic or what I'm going to face on Sunday trying to get to this soccer stadium where the Los Angeles Chargers play. Um, but, uh, no, I, I think you're allowed to do that, right? If you're from Minnesota, you can tweet pictures of yourself in a sunnier climate. If you go to Florida, if you go to California, you're allowed to do that, right? That's not against the rules. And Minnesota is actually mandatory. I mean, if right. you don't give at least five, hey, everybody, I'm warm, <laughs> selfie. It's almost like we're doing it to, to not to make people jealous, but because we want to remember it years from now. Like when you hit that next <laughs> bad stretch, you want to remember that there was some point in the last six months where you saw the sun. Right. I'm, I'm going to be back on Monday, so let me enjoy this. <laughs> let me rub it in everybody's face. Uh, maybe I'll even do a picture of my feet near the ocean or something like that. Uh, that would be a classic. So I, I lot to get to here uh, on a Friday as we lead up to uh, Vikings and Chargers. Um, let me just start with sort of the feeling with this game, Myron. I don't know how you felt about it because you're a busy man. You're covering a lot of college basketball and things like that, um, and, and you cover the entire league when you go on. ESPN radio for the NFL but my feeling here is just in terms of how Vikings fans look at this game as just write in that W and move along and like don't even don't even tell me about this game just put in a win let's get to that Green Bay game let's get to that Chicago game in the playoffs that's the sense that I've had but I I don't think that that's the right approach to this game like I, I think this Chargers team could be eight and five and not five and eight, and they have enough talent to make things very interesting on Sunday. Okay, wait a minute. So, so Vikings fans just want to skip this game. D- did they see twenty zero at home? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I, Denver, know. Did, I know. Did they see Matt Moore, Kansas City? No Patrick Mahomes. It feels to me like the vibe going into Kansas City, where this idea of it's either Mahomes plays or he doesn't play, and that's the difference. Mm-hmm. If there's no Mahomes the Vikings roll to a victory. Pretty easy. 
If there's Mahomes, it'll be more complicated. They didn't have Mahomes, and you still lose. Chase Daniel, I keep bringing this up every week on the show. I trust the Minnesota Vikings more against good, proven teams to show up and give their best compared to situations like this where you're like, okay, they probably should would should win considering the fact that this is a team that couldn't beat Denver. This is a team that's lost to Tennessee, Pittsburgh. All of these like playoff-level teams, mm-hmm. they've struggled with. Yeah. At the same time, I do think that their schedule features a lot of really, really difficult teams. They've had to play the NFC North, obviously. Bunch of good teams in that division, clearly. This is a team, I agree, where you go, they've, they've had their moments that could have gone the other way. Lost to Detroit by a field goal, touchdown with Houston. I mean, they have not, for the most part, really been blown out. And if you go back to that Green Bay game, that was the game where I was like, okay, Green Bay sort of had the same attitude going to L.A. in November, early November. Hey, we're rolling. We're Green Bay. We're talking about one seeds, all this stuff, and then they lose uh, by a couple of touchdowns on the road. I think it's a weird game just because I think the best Chargers team can certainly beat the Minnesota Vikings, uh, but they just haven't done that consistently. So this is definitely not a game to overlook. And what the Chargers just did to Jacksonville, I think showed you how they feel about their coach. I don't know if Anthony Lynn is a great coach or not, but I know that when Jacksonville hates their coach and you like yours, you get a 42 to whatever type of result. I mean, that, that, that's, <laughs> it's that time of year. It's who wants to see their guy fired. The Detroit Lions mostly played like they wanted to see their guy fired on Sunday against the Minnesota <laughs> yeah. Vikings. When you commit two 15-yard penalties, egregious oh. ones, in the first quarter, like, oh, right, I see what's going on here. And then three or four guys, Oop, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, got a yeah. cramp, sorry, got to come out of this game. Uh, that was the feeling that nobody wants Matt Patricia around, and I can't argue with them about that one, but the Chargers are still playing extremely hard for Anthony Lynn and seem to want him to keep his job in Los Angeles. And there's there's a couple other things, Myron, too, that I look at the Chargers and I go, huh, you would not have guessed this based on the fact that they're 5-8 and eight and just out of the playoff race, that I was looking at their scoring percentage, so how often they produce points on offensive drives. It's higher than the Minnesota Vikings. The only teams, oh, wow. yeah, the only teams that produce points more consistently on their drives than the Los Angeles Chargers are the Baltimore Ravens, Kansas City Chiefs, New Orleans Saints, and San Francisco 49ers, which really kind of blew my mind because they wow. have come up short in so many games. And in terms of yards per offensive play, the only ones ahead of them are Dallas, Kansas City, and Baltimore. So this is actually an offense that has been really effective for Los Angeles this year. The big issue for them has been the turnovers. They have the fifth worst turnover rate in the NFL, so I think that that's hurt them a lot, especially late in games. But this is not an offense to mess with, and I think we'll get a better idea of that defensive back rotation that Mike Zimmer started using in the first quarter against Detroit, whether that's actually going to work, assuming that you know there's uh, some healthier players here and, and nobody's out. But I, I like the idea of mixing in Mike Hughes, mixing in Holton Hill when you can. But that's going to be tested. It was not tested against David Blau. Yeah, I mean, the, to me, you go back to, to Denver, there just aren't many metrics to support that this Denver team had a great offense, and yet there they were in the lead with, a, with an incredible chance to win that game. I mean, you know, 20 teams in the league win that game, if not more. Uh, Denver just couldn't close the show. Statistically, I mean, the Chargers have been an efficient offense, to your point. The turnovers have hurt. The biggest thing to me defensively, too, is Derwin James and that injury. I think that really crushed that team 
he was one of the more dynamic players in the NFL, uh, kind of getting eased back into things. Had they had him full strength throughout the entire season, he's maybe that extra turnover, that extra force fumble, that extra big play, and they win some of these games. So uh, I, I agree. I think that this is a team where you go, you could certainly see them doing what they did to, to Green Bay. Because remember, Green Bay comes into Denver, I mean, into L.A., and they're the Green Bay team where everyone's raving about their offense and their defense and how they have this, you know, they've had so much to their defense and they're just a complete balanced team. And they look terrible uh, at L.A. They didn't look like a good team. They didn't look like the kind of team that could win a Super Bowl. And then L.A. goes on to lose their next three games. So they're one of those teams where I don't think they're ever going to get on a run, clearly. But they could get one and even lose to Oakland and Kansas City after this. But it just feels like a dangerous afternoon game in L.A. Like, Kyle, what's the crowd going to look like? I mean, that to me is always a weird thing in L.A. is like, there might be more Minnesota Vikings fans. I think it's going to be pretty Chargers purple. fans. Yep. You know what I mean? But even that's a little weird to me. Like, yeah. that's helped some teams, but it's also been like a weird dynamic because I almost think like players brace themselves for this road environment and it feels very neutral and vanilla. Even though you've got a backing with your home crowd in LA, it's just a lot of things can go wrong and they have gone wrong for good teams already. In LA. Yeah, that's right. It kind of reminds me of when the Buffalo Bills played games in Toronto, and um, you know, the, it would be like a mix mash because Bills fans didn't want to support the games in Toronto, and the Toronto fans were uh, not really Bills fans, so they would sort of just show up in Atlanta Falcons jerseys when the Falcons weren't <laughs> playing, and no one knew when to cheer really, and it, it's awkward like that. Um, you know, speaking of just how difficult this team can be, potentially the Chargers, um, they're expected win-loss, which is a pro football reference that based on just their point differential, they should be an 8-5 and five team, but they're 5-8 and eight because a lot of the close games. They're 8th in points against and 18th in points for. That's not bad. I mean, that usually gets no. you into the playoffs if you're top 10 in one of those two categories. They're 10th in offensive yards, 4th in yards against. So this is, this is not at all a team to take very lightly, especially with some of the talent that they have on the defensive side. You mentioned that Derwin James is back. Joey Bosa has 10.5 sacks this year, and that's the one thing, Myron, that I, I think is always the difference maker. If they have one guy who can ruin your game plan, he often does against the Minnesota <laughs> Vikings. And, and that guy was Chris Jones in Kansas City. Yep. He just demolished them, and we've seen Khalil Mack do it in three different games against the yep. Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins. And I was thinking about this while watching him against the Lions, where Cousins would take his three- or five-step drop, Stand there, stand there, guys open, hits him. When he's got time to throw, he's the best quarterback in the NFL this year yes. with the clean pocket. But is Joey Bosa going to allow that? Uh, you know, When Riley Reef has had to face elite players at, at defensive end, it's often been a struggle. And, and he seems to me like one of those very few highest cut of type of defensive end that we don't talk about because he plays for the Los Angeles Chargers and their team isn't really relevant even when they're good, but he's one of the best players in the entire NFL. Yeah, and I think that to me is is what you can't overlook in a game like this. The problem with a team like the Chargers, especially like if you're a, a Midwest fan like we are, you you haven't seen the Chargers play. I mean, right. how many yeah. how many people have watched the Chargers play? How many people know what Joey Bosa has done? How many people know that Derwin James has been out with this injury and the impact that that had on them defensively. 
you know, so I, I think that to me is 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 a really dangerous situation because even players, I think, can get caught up in sort of people making assumptions. And this feels to me, again, I'll go back to Kansas City to your point with Chris Jones. That offense ain't going to work. There's no Mahomes. And guess what? It did. Yep. Oh, that yep. defense ain't a problem. Oh, guess what? That defense had a guy who disrupted everything the Vikings intended to do and they lost that game. So this is one of those matchups where you feel like Kirk Cousins could get into difficult situations on the road, a team trying to solidify a spot in the playoffs in this position, and they could certainly lose this game. And and you assume Mike Zimmer is communicating that message to these guys, but more importantly, you assume that over the last two years nearly with Kirk Cousins, that this Vikings team gets that and that they understand that they've been in situations like this before and they know the pitfalls attached to a game you're supposed to win before a big game against Green Bay, mm-hmm. and you assume they take it seriously. But this could be, again, one of those nail biters that comes down to a field goal, and I could certainly see the Vikings ended up losing this game to a motivated Phillip Rivers, who really, to me, is just trying to play for his legacy more than anything. I feel like the last two previous years, that was his chance to get a Super Bowl if he was going to get one. Here he's kind of like, okay, team hasn't been as good. I'm going to pad the stats. Let's see what happens going forward. But there are no guarantees with Phillip Rivers in the coming years. So I think this is a guy who is like, I don't know how many more games I have left. I'm going to bring it. And that should scare the Vikings as well. You know, Phillip Rivers is kind of like the old baseball player that still has like old man power or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or or the yeah. basketball player whose knees doesn't work, but every once in yeah. a while, though, he's feeling it from downtown. And that was <laughs> Phillip Rivers in the last game. He went 16 for 22, 314 yards, three touchdowns, 154 quarterback rating against Jacksonville. And even the game before against Denver, he put them in a position to win, and they entirely botched that because they are the Chargers and find remarkable ways to do it. Um, and against Green Bay, he had over 100 quarterback rating. So he's had some really good games this year and I wanted to talk about Philip Rivers because he is a fascinating player to me to discuss for the Hall of Fame Myron we were watching uh, ESPN you know game the other night with Eli Manning and the broadcast was basically saying oh yeah this is a future Hall of Famer Eli Manning and of course it's like well it means that really is that really true I mean and when you compare and when you compare him to Philip Rivers the statistics and even the the win loss record is nowhere close that Rivers is much better I mean he had a stretch where he was leading the league in yards per attempt every year he's led the league in yards before I mean he's got all the big numbers and he's been in the playoffs a bunch of times during his career he just has never gotten a team all the way to the Super Bowl and that kind of hurts his legacy because we just put so much on on playoff performance and things like that. But Rivers, he ends up being that case for a a guy who did it in the regular season and had some really, really great years and is 123 and 98 for his career as a starter. I also like the fact that it's with one organization. You know, you got to give some credit for that to um for for players who stay with the same team for a long time but but at the same time is it you know empty stats you know there are a lot of down years mixed in of four and twelves and five and elevens and who who knows what they'll be this year i i wonder what you think about philip rivers's case for the hall of fame okay so eli manning i believe and check me on this collar i think i'm right about this i believe eli manning's career completion percentage is lower than Jason Campbell's, <laughs> right? I, I believe that. 
I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Okay? It, it depends on how much you want to value completion percentage, but and yeah, I'm not, it's, it's not under, everything. It is under, uh, or he's just a shade over sixty percent, which is yeah, not very high. It's not everything, but that's something to put in your pocket, right? Uh, we know why Eli Man is going to the Hall of Fame. It's because it's not just because of two Super Bowls. It's two Super Bowls against Goliath. Yeah, it's two Super Bowls against the Patriots. We cannot underestimate the value of not just reaching a Super Bowl, but winning a Super Bowl when it comes to the Hall of Fame. A lot of people will talk about players, I think, and assume they know their numbers and they'll make grand assumptions about how many yards they threw for or what they did in their careers, and they're lying. I mean, Troy Aikman didn't hit 35,000 career yards. Troy Aikman obviously won three Super Bowls and, and led one of the greatest teams that we've seen, didn't hit 35,000 yards. Now, there were a lot of injuries in there. I get it. But there are a number of players where if you go back and look, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That that guy wasn't anywhere near 40,000. So for me, when you got a guy who's at 58,000 yards, approaching 60,000, that feels like an automatic, okay, maybe some weird stuff happened in your career and you didn't get to the Super Bowl, but 60,000 yards, that's a lot of yards. That demands consistency. That demands you to stay healthy. That demands where you're working probably with different coordinators and coaches. That's not something you just fall into. So for me, that has to matter. This is why Phillip Rivers, though, is a Hall of Famer to me. He's the Bret Hart of this quarterback class. And here's what I mean by that. You're going to have to explain that to me, not a wrestling guy. I'm going to explain this in the wrestling terms. I'll give it to you. If Tom Brady's Hulk Hogan, right? If Drew Brees is Ultimate Warrior. If Peyton Manning is Randy Macho Man Savage. My point is this. He's been overshadowed by all these stars. He was never the man. Yeah. Like, he was never the man. And, and that's not his fault as much as it's that he decided to come along where we had some of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen mm-hmm. over the last 20 years. I think this, Colin, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think in terms of greatest quarterbacks we have ever seen, for the most part, other than maybe a Marino, and even Marino, I think, retired in 99, you can create a top 15 top 20 list with guys who've played in the last 20 years. Like you can get everybody in that group and they play in the last 20 years. More importantly, you can put a bunch of those guys who retired within the last 10 years. Phillip Rivers is in that group where you're not going to overshadow Peyton Manning and Brett Favre and Brady and Breeze and Eli Manning, the guy you've been compared to your whole career who has two wins over Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. You're not going to be above those guys. You're not going to be above an L way in the dramatic way that he won his two Super Bowls. So there are a number of guys where you go, oh, man, he's really good, but he was never the best. And the only reason he wasn't the best was because the three, four, five guys ahead of him that he played with were some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And that, to me, has to factor into how Phillip Rivers is viewed. And I think that's why he's a he's a Hall of Famer. We cannot base it on, well, Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Those are some of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen in this game. But Phillip Rivers is much better than a whole bunch of guys who've gotten into the Hall of Fame, uh, who did not put up his numbers, who were not as consistent as he was. That's why, for me, he definitely makes the cut. So what I wonder about with this conversation is how we adjust in our mind what the numbers mean when we're trying to look back at them. Because Philip Rivers is sort of uh, in the middle of the era where this all changed. Where in the right around that 2006 to 2010, all of a sudden is when 4,000 yards becomes not really that 
interesting to talk about anymore. I mean, the first year for Phillip Rivers where he's a starter, he throws for not even 3,500 yards, but wins 14 games, and it's around a running back, LaDainian Tomlinson, as offenses were in the early 2000s. And then as the numbers change and everybody throws for 4,000, I mean, he's one of those leaders who's always there, eight-time Pro Bowler, and he's leading the league in yards per attempt and things like that. And, and, and those stats matter to me of being toward the top of the league even when it is a passing league, right? Um, yeah. The only thing would be how much of it was Phillip Rivers, how much of it is kind of empty stats with a lot of seasons that are 9-7 and seven or 8-8, eight and eight, sort of the things that we accuse Kirk Cousins of. I wonder how many times in San Diego Sports Talk Radio they were having that Kirk Cousins talk that we have all the time. Like, is Philip Rivers ever going to win one of these big games? And a lot of his, a lot of his really big winning seasons came when they had an incredible supporting cast for him. Antonio Gates and Ladanian Tomlinson. The team wasn't built around him. And then when Tomlinson gets to the end of his career and then he goes to the Jets, you know, no longer is Philip Rivers really that good. I mean, from 2010 to 2014, they are either nine and seven, eight and eight, or seven and nine. Every single one of those years, but here's Rivers putting up these massive passing numbers, and it's hard for me because you look at some of the other quarterbacks all time and how they compare in some of his statistics, whether it's yards or quarterback rating, and, I mean, he's way, way up there. But in quarterback rating for his career, he's not much different than Matt Ryan. Is Matt Ryan yeah. a Hall of Famer? Well, like, I, I mean, yeah, maybe. But I, our standard, I think, has to be a little bit different and a little bit more discerning in an era where everybody can put up big numbers. And that's the only hesitation I would have on Phillip Rivers. But I also think, uh, I think your point is, is valid. But uh, we're going to talk about Brett Favre then. I mean, like, to, to me, here's my concern sometimes when you allow guys like us to vote, is we are biased, Right. And, and likability matters. Okay. So for, for me, in an era where we have never been more analytical, I mean, does Brett Farm hold up his passer rating, what, 86? I think Phillip Rivers is 10 points ahead of that. I mean, there are a lot of metrics you could use, but at the end of the day, we do look at championship performances and that matters. So I've got a radical theory about the Hall of Fame. Okay. Okay. You've got to do it one of two ways. Either it's, you were at one point the best in the NFL, and therefore you are a first ballot Hall of Famer, or you don't get in. Like, mm-hmm. it should be unanimous every time, right? That's the one school of thought. If that's not going to be your approach to the Hall of Fame, then you've got to be willing to let a lot of people in who played with those guys. It's the Michael Jordan era theory. Carl Malone and Gary Payton and, and everybody else who lost to him, Charles Barkley, yeah, all of these yeah. great players, Clyde Drexler, yep, who were yep. really, really, really good players, you're just not talking about them 20 years later because they played with Michael Jordan. So I feel like Phillip Rivers has to get that. He's in the AFC, where over the last 20 years almost, that has gone through the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots, that no matter how good you are, you are usually going to hit a roadblock. I'm not saying that's the only thing because there were a lot of seasons where they didn't even get to that point. But that's the shadow that kind of looms over, to me, Philip Rivers' career. And if that's the case and we're not putting him in, let's get everybody out of the Hall of Fame who wasn't at one point the best player of their era, who wasn't at one point the best quarterback playing. Then you might only have Brady and Breeze and Manning from this era, and you'd have to get rid of a lot of other people. That's not how we do it. The reality is we understand 
that you can be great without winning a championship because football of all sports, uh, individual performance has a great impact, but there are so many other variables. And I think that's why you have to say, yes, Phillip Rivers, you look at the numbers, you look at other guys who've gotten in. I mean, could Phillip Rivers have performed as well as some of these other quarterbacks who had better assembling, better supporting cast, better talent around them, better coaching, more consistency? Maybe. Maybe he could have been at that level. We'll never know. But I think with what he's had in front of him, he's done a lot, man. And the way we do the Hall of Fame, it, to me, it's hard to make an argument to say he doesn't get in. And it's a little unfortunate for Phillip Rivers that the peak of his play did not match up with the peak of their team's play even though they did go 14 and 2 the one year with Marty Schottenheimer he wasn't yet I mean he was a first year starter at that point he was not yet uh, in the full peak of his career and when he was they were more of a 8 and 8 type of team around him it wasn't the same you know dominated by Ladanian Tomlinson type of team that uh, it was early in his career um, so it, it's almost unfortunate that he kind of missed that a little bit and then was kind of dragging teams more to 9-7 and seven that were just okay and not great. To your point about uh, Brett Favre, I think it's really interesting how much statistics have changed. In 1996, the average passer rating was 76.9. If you had a 76.9 passer rating right now, you would be in the XFL. Like Vince McMahon could have you because you are not playing in the NFL with a 76. 76 passer rating and Brett so when Brett Favre is putting up numbers that would be passable in 2010 for a, a guy to be um, you know when he was putting up those type of numbers in 1996 that was dominant then because they yeah. they took more risks they threw a lot more interceptions and uh, I mean in 96 also Brett has one of those you know MVP years and I guess that's another thing too is Somebody like Brett had all the hardware. He had a Super Bowl ring. He had the MVP three times. And that's things that Philip Rivers doesn't really have. He's always, you know what? It's this is how I look at him. I look at him as the second AFC quarterback in the Pro Bowl. Like every year, the second, yeah. whoever, yeah. you know, maybe it's Manning this year, maybe it's Brady this yeah. year, maybe it's somebody else, maybe it's Roethlisberger, and then who's behind him? Oh yeah, Philip Rivers on the Pro Bowl again, and uh, he definitely deserves credit for that. But I think that the Clyde Drexler comparison is a really good one. It's a guy who played in a market where people you know, didn't get as much attention, and he was really, really good, but he didn't win in the same way as. Uh, you know, as somebody like Tom Brady or or Michael Jordan, if yeah. you make that comparison, it's it's a hall of really really good. But I'm not, I guess I'm not sure that it should be that he should go in. The guy who causes all the problems is Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, yes, you can almost put you can put thirty guys in the Hall of Fame when you compare their resume. I I can get uh, Randall Cunningham into the Hall of Fame when I compare him to Kurt Warner. But yep. I, I almost feel like that guy got in because he was so fun and revolutionary and just a really nice guy, which is not really fair, but I think that's why Kurt Warner is in. And that sets the standard to be very interesting as we go forward here with quarterbacks who put up all these great numbers. Like I was thinking to myself, Myron, if, if Philip Rivers goes in with his resume and has all these great stats but not a lot of success otherwise, like playoff wins and things like that, like the, is Kirk Cousins trending toward a Hall of Fame quarterback? Well, here's the thing. Well, the, Matthew Stafford is going to be the next guy. We really yes, got to talk yeah, about, right, right, absolutely. Stafford would be that guy. I can't I put mean, Matt Stafford goodness. in the Hall of Fame. Can Man, you? We got to have a. That's a conversation because if he plays five, six, seven more years and he's at sixty thousand plus, I, I don't know what happens. 
this is where I say the idea that members of the media vote and have power in this, and we saw what happened to Terrell Owens, that's a factor. Because the, the problem I think Kirk Cousins will have is I don't know that he'll ever shake the perception that he was never as good as he could have been. Right? Whether that's true or not, I think that will always stick to him. And that could also plague a Phillip Rivers and a Matthew Stafford. The thing with an Eli Manning is people will go, you know what? We saw him beat a team that seemed unbeatable. Let's forget anything else he did and the yeah, fact that he yeah. failed so many times outside that and the fact that they struggled so many times beyond those two years because that's the perception that we're building our case uh, for Eli Manning on. But my thing is this. 20 years from now, like you said, we look back at Brett Favre and we go, okay, passer rating was different. They took more risk. Like how are we going to view win-loss record in mm-hmm. football? Will it be like pitchers in baseball? Like how are we going to look at actual win-loss record in terms of how your legacy uh, should be perceived. So win-loss record is a very fascinating thing with quarterbacks because I like to look at it and I think it matters. It's, I mean, in a way, it's like with the NBA, all the best players, they win. They're on winning teams. I mean, not always, not every single year of their career, but if you're one of the greatest players of an era, more likely than not, your team is, is winning because you have a ton of control over that result as one NBA player. I look at it the same way with quarterback. Not every year, like one year, Philip Rivers is four and twelve. Some things go wrong: injuries, bad bounces. He's got a lot of bad bounces this year, missed field goals and things like that. But you know, at the end of the day, when you play for a really long time as a starting quarterback, you should win a lot more games than you lose. And that's the unfortunate thing about Eli continuing to play. If the guy retires at thirty-two or something, then he would have been. It would almost be like your Tupac or Biggie. He would have been hyped yeah. up even more because he never made. He never had the fall off. And the fall off has painted us, I think, the opposite way on uh, Eli Manning, where during his prime he went seventy-seven and fifty-one, and and I lo- I look at that as a, a big deal. Like it's on you to win the games. And with Cousins, you know, he wins half of them, he loses half of them, and and that was a lot of Philip Rivers too. And kind of how I ended up thinking of Philip Rivers because it had. It happened so many times where it was like, well, the guy wins kind of half his games and puts up big statistics and then loses in the first round by 30, and that's Phillip Rivers every single year. So that's, that, I think, is a stumbling block when you uh, when you look at that. Um, some people will throw it out entirely, and, and I wouldn't agree with that. I wouldn't agree with throwing it out too early because I, you know, sometimes you do get bad breaks, like Drew Brees leads a game-winning uh, drive, and then the other guy leads a game-winning drive, and he wins, and... Like, what, is Drew Brees a loser for the day? So on an individual game, no. But on a huge scale, every single one of these guys who are the greatest in a lot of other metrics also won all the games, too. So, you know, it's it's. I I think it's a starting point, and then you figure out why did they win, why why did they lose, or why were they a 500 quarterback. So let's let's take a break, Myron. I have to step out into the sun and sun myself (laughs) here in Los Angeles Uh. for a second for like four (laughs) minutes. Okay, but... We'll be right back on Purple Daily, and we're going to talk more about Vikings, Chargers leading up to it, plus look at some of the games that matter to the Vikings. We'll do it all when we return here on Purple Daily. 
football fans. It's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Do your holiday shopping online and save up to 70% with the Score North holiday online auction, golf packages, electric bikes, countertops, sea life passes, and more to view and bid on items. Visit scorenorth.com and enter keyword auction Vikings injury report coming out today. Game status is released with that as well. Alexander Madison and Jaron Kirst are listed as out for Sunday's matchup out in L.A. against the Chargers. Questionable is Xavier Rhodes and B.C. Johnson, but not listed with the game status, meaning he's probably set to go for Sunday as Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen, who's been out for the past four weeks due to that hamstring injury. Download the Score North mobile app and register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Amazon.com gift card just for having and registering their mobile app. You'll also have a chance at many other great prizes just for listening. Download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards, or just listen to scorenorth.com, and you have your chance to win a $200.com gift card just for having and registering the Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar from Los Angeles, California. I have never been to a uh, soccer stadium on the West Coast before, Myron, so I'm looking forward to that. Myron Metcalf (laughs) from ESPN with me. Um, do you think real quick before we get to Vikings and Chargers, like what does this look like in Los Angeles with football in five years? Do you think are the Chargers back in San Diego or something, or are they playing in the spaceship that they're building? Like what what is going to happen here? Well, I mean they're they're, they're going to put somebody in that spaceship. Have you seen it? So like, here's the weird thing about I've that. flown over it. It is the first 360 degree jumbotron. Oh, I believe so. You're actually going to be able to. Inside the stadium, there will be like a 360-degree mega screen. But then outside of the stadium, you'll be able to see it as well. Like So it's going to be like this revolutionary thing. Here's the other cool thing. In order to build it, I don't know why I know so much about this, but I do. They they had to like sink the ground like a 1,000 feet or something like that. They had to go like the foundation is below whatever sea level is because of some building restrictions or something. But it's pretty cool when you see – what they're doing. Taylor Swift is opening the stadium. Someone's going to be there in the next five years. The question is, will they have fans in that spaceship in five years? I don't know the answer to that, man. I've got it. The Clippers. The Clippers should play that. Yes. Yes. The first uh, outdoor open air NBA stadium. Steve Ballmer could make it happen. Yes. Uh, Kawhi is not playing outdoors, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, But they would have more fans there. Um, It's right near where the Forum is. And i got to tell you, it is cool to drive by the Forum. It's like, yeah, man, the 80s and the Lakers, and there's the Forum, and it looks really cool from outside. So, uh, anyway, I I am interested to see if people go. I know from having uh, drove there that the traffic nightmare is going to be one of the, like, 
craziest things on earth when they have game days there, assuming anybody yeah. shows up, because the infrastructure to get people there is really not great. And I, I'm interested to see if we watch games and it's the first quarter and you're like, why isn't anyone there? And then by the third <laughs> quarter, it looks full, but the middle of the fourth, everybody leaves uh, like Dodgers games, only worse. So yeah, uh, we will see. I, I, I um, Started to talk with uh, Courtney and, and Alex Boone the other day about something with, with Week 17, and I, I'm interested to get your opinion, Myron. I think it's not a bad thing if Kirk Cousins goes into Week 17 having to beat the Chicago Bears for a playoff spot. And if you're a fan of the team, you don't want that in general. It's always better to be able to play Sean Mannion or... Mike Boone or whoever you want out there. Um, get Alexander Hollins his first NFL catch if you can. Yeah. Like do do all that stuff. Yeah. Every fan would sign up for that first. But the theme of this season for the Vikings, Myron, is that we just don't know whether to trust them or not. It's been fun to check back with you each week. Like, do you trust them a little more, Myron? You're like, no, not really. And, <laughs> yeah. and you have nine wins against losing teams. You have four losses against winning teams. And Chicago just has your number. Mitch Trubisky has played some good games against you. You got beat by their backup. They've got Akeem Hicks back and Khalil Mack it has demolished you every time he's faced you. In a way, it would be a great test before the tests for this team and also exercise the demon potentially from last year. I would not hate to see it. I say, bring it. Let's see it. I would love to see it. And as a matter of fact, I'm rooting for that scenario because here's the deal. If you want to prove yourself, if you want to prove that you have changed from the team you were a year ago, if Kirk Cousins wants to prove that he's a different quarterback uh, against good teams, you would be playing a Chicago bears team with a lot of momentum, uh, a Bears team that kind of turned its season around, and then there you are. I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's not just that we look at teams and go wins and losses. We look at who you defeated. Like, the reason why we're celebrating the 49ers and what they did in New Orleans was because they went on the road to beat a team that could have been the number one seed. That's a huge win. Yes. And now all of a sudden, just like that, Jimmy Garoppolo, who I believe was someone where if you saw him, you thought, oh, is he on the young and restless, the bold and the beautiful? <laughs> oh, wait, he plays quarterback? All of a sudden, people are going, just like that, Jimmy Garoppolo is the man for the next decade in San Francisco. He proved himself in that moment. Aaron Rodgers has had so many scenarios. Drew Brees has had those scenarios. Russell Wilson, clearly. But there are a bunch of these other quarterbacks, and Kirk Cousins is in that group, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, where we're like, uh, are you going to show up in those moments? Are you that guy? We don't really know because they haven't been consistent. So if I'm a quarterback, I would love to have that kind of situation where I get to go play the team that knocked me out of the playoff picture a year ago, my my arch nemesis, the team that unless I get past this group, I'm going to always have this burden on my shoulder. So I would love to see the Vikings in that situation, and I would love to see if they can prove that, hey, we are a better team we get into the playoffs with some momentum because until you beat a winning team, Collar, why am I supposed to trust this team? Like, tell me why I'm supposed to believe that the Vikings can do anything in the playoffs at this point in the season. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if you can make a great case aside from just their statistics are toward the top of the league in offense, but we also aren't sure how much you can trust the defense except against David Blau. So if you get to the number yeah. three quarterback, okay, that's where the line gets drawn. You can beat the number three quarterback. Even in Denver with Brandon Allen, the guy gets benched two weeks later, and you wonder, yeah. hey, if you were facing Drew Locke, would that same thing would have happened? I mean, Would you have been able to lead that 20-point comeback? Does he throw a pick in the end zone? And, and things like that and even getting down to Denver it, it goes toward the objective way of looking at it versus how if you're a Vikings fan you would look at it if you're a Vikings fan you look at that Denver game and go that was pretty fun we got down in the game we came back and won look good for Kirk Cousins but the objective way is uh, you probably shouldn't have been down to Brandon Allen 20 points yes. and that yeah. makes me a little concerned about you going forward here and the reason that I love week 17 mattering aside from not wanting to sit there and watch the third team, I'll admit uh, that's the, a little bit of bias on my part to <laughs> not want to see that again. I mean, what I what happened with Detroit? Well, that game with New Orleans and San Francisco is going on. I'm just like tearing my eyes out. Like, please, <laughs> please let me just watch this game and and not David Blau play quarterback and run right into Daniel Hunter for the third time, right? Like directly um, into him, just like oh yeah. Are you want to tackle me? Right. Oh, thanks. Okay, sure. Hunter is coming at him, and he sees him. He's like, no, I got plenty of time here. Like, <laughs> maybe you should have checked out his 40 time or his 10-yard uh, split or whatever before you waited forever, and then your field goal kicker misses. Like, please don't make me do that again. Um, but the other part of it, too, is that you should win that game, that if you yep. are a playoff team, you should beat the Bears. They're legit in terms of their talent on the defensive side. Their quarterback has uh, fits of success occasionally, um, just enough to probably convince them to keep him around, which is going to be hilarious. But uh, Trubisky is 2-0 and against you, and y- you could exercise the demon. You could also prove that when the lights are bright, when it's a tough situation for you, but a doable one, that you could take care of that. And then Kirk Cousins... I think it would be a bit of a monkey off his back if he went into the playoffs feeling like, yeah, I had a win and in game and I won that game, which has not been the case for his entire career. You go year by year and you can always get to, well, you know, he had to beat the Giants in week 17 and couldn't do it. Or, well, last year he had to beat the Bears and they weren't even playing starters by the fourth quarter and he couldn't do it. That's always yeah. been his MO. It would be nice for him to have a chance and a much better storyline for us if that mattered. I, I think it would make for great drama. Well, it, great drama, and it affects the confidence of your team. Uh, the Seahawks are a, a good team. They're, they're not a 10-win team. If you look at their point differential, I, I mean, they're a team that has basically decided, you know what, doesn't matter who we're playing, what the situation is, we think Russell Wilson will give us a chance in every single game. For the most part, I mean, he didn't play great last weekend, but for the most part, he has given them a chance and some. Uh, obviously, Drew Brees, I talked about Jimmy Garoppolo and what he did on the road uh, against the Saints. That can change the makeup of a team. I mean, that could change the way a team views itself and, and the confidence attached to that. I think Deshaun Watson has taken that next step with the Houston Texans and sort of how they're building around him and the confidence they have. We've watched Lamar Jackson do it for the last two years and what that Raven squad has become as a result of him. So I think certainly, yes, it's big for Kirk Cousins, but it's also that team around him going into the playoffs saying, you know what, we just got to give this dude a chance, and he'll lead us to a victory. 
he has not established that yet. And going into week 17, you beat Chicago with the playoff on the line. That could change a lot of folks in that locker room in terms of how much they trust you going forward. So something I noticed to that end on tape early in the year when they would not be playing very well at times, especially in Green Bay and in Chicago, was the body language of everybody around Kirk Cousins. They weren't quitting by any means. But every time something would go wrong, you would see somebody throw their hands up. And it's one of those things that if the TV camera doesn't catch it, you don't see it. But on game film, when you look at the all 22 from the up top version, you can definitely see it when somebody throws their hands up or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that receivers just always do that. But it, yeah. it, it, it felt like there was a lot of like, oh, man, really? Again? Like you got sacked again? Or, or oh. you, you missed me. I was wide open. What's going on here? And as the season has progressed, even in games they haven't won, like Seattle, I did not see that in Seattle. Even on the fourth down play where I don't know what the play call was, and he probably could have done some of the things like maybe move his body to try and make something happen there. But I didn't see guys like going, oh, man, you know, like that obvious sort of body yeah. language of frustration. Or and, and we haven't seen any Adam Thielen-style meltdowns on the sideline of Kirk <laughs> screaming at his teammates. Um, but also the amount of adversity has been limited by your schedule. It's it's hard to have too much when you're facing Atlanta and Oakland is your toughest game. And even Dallas, we found out, is not very good and the Eagles aren't very good. Um, I think Chicago does have enough talent to make that game really interesting and kind of put all that to the test. Like, Has this really grown? And that would be sort of fascinating to study for that one. Um, so, I mean, you got to get through Green Bay first, and you have to get through the Chargers first. And that's what I wanted to ask you here before we get to the other games that matter for the Vikings is just, what do you think here? Three out of three? Two out of three? Zero out of three? I, I mean, I could see, uh, probably not that, but I could see almost any outcome here with the caliber of opponents that they're playing. I, this is actually their tough stretch, even though maybe we wouldn't have thought it was earlier in the year. Yeah, I think um, two out of three, I guess that's the reporter in me and what I what I can see for this team. If I were a betting man, one out of three. I mean, I guess I just don't know. I don't know why I'm supposed to believe that they win three of these games. I guess I'm not sure why I should be convinced that they get to week 17 and they definitely beat a Bears team that's had their number or they beat Green Bay. I, I feel like I say this every week that I have to see it, but this team has not done enough to earn my faith. I mean, this team has not earned that. And I think that's the reality for every everybody who watches this Vikings team. They haven't earned that. So you can get that in the next three games. But if I had to say I'm putting down money on this thing, one feels safe, and I don't know how to be anything but safe when it comes to projections for this Vikings team, Kyle. I do feel that this is a more mentally strong team than they were last year, but that also might be just results dictating how I feel about it. Last year had this sense, though, of we don't really know what we're doing on offense Kirk seems very frustrated all the time, but he's also not making anybody better. And this year, it's like they've put him in, in a bubble. They've, they've made him so he's got somebody to throw to every time. I wrote a piece for our website uh, the other day, scorenorth.com. You can go check it out about 
how even when Adam Thielen comes back, they should continue to use everyone because he has somebody to throw to all the time. There's always an answer. Irv Smith is a number two tight end, but he's always open. And you can check it down to Delvin Cook where the ball travels two yards through the air and you get 20 yards because you yeah. he's just so good you did nothing to earn that. And then every time you throw it deep to Stephon Diggs, he goes up and gets it. Um, he's catching more than half of the balls that travel 20 yards through the air, which is Ooh. really incredible. Yeah, and he has more deep yards than anybody else in the NFL this season. I mean, that really says a lot about his ability to make those contested catches down the field and get open down the field, and it says a lot about the scheme too. So the, I want there to be points along the way here over these last three games where it's kind of on you, buddy, with Kirk. You're not getting necessarily the help, or Kevin yeah. Stefanski isn't bailing you out. You have to make the plays to make it happen. In Seattle, it didn't work that way at the end of the game, where what they really needed on what was probably a bad play call. They sent Stefan Diggs deep down the sideline on fourth and three with the game on the line. I just don't agree with that. Like, you got to get him the ball. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, aside from that, though, that's one where. Kirk Cousins could go off schedule. He could make a play. It didn't happen. There, I think there will be at least two times over these last three games where game on the line, Kirk Cousins has op- more opportunities to do the thing we say he can't do, and I, I'm excited to see that, Myron. You think he wants that? If I were him, I would. If I were him, I would. I don't know if around, I mean, you've been around him. Do you think he wants that? Like, do you think he craves that opportunity? You know, the more I'm around Kirk Cousins, the more I think he's very hard to pin down with stuff like that. Like, I, like we've spent these two years sort of psychoanalyzing him. Is he a leader in the locker room? Is he clutch? Does he get nervous? Is it something else? Is it limitations in his game? Or is it the clutch factor? Does he have heart? All these sort of things that are intangible and, and that, that kind of thing. And getting, I still find getting inside of his head about how he feels about this or that or how he would view this, this or that. You know what's weird about Cousins? I think he is so analytical that no matter what the score was, he's going to grade himself on how he played for the entire game. Like, he's going to go through, let's say there are 65 plays, and he's going to say, okay, I did the right thing. I threw to the right guy on 60 of those 65 plays, so I had a good game. And then you might go up to him and be like, dude, Kirk, but you kind of didn't do the thing at the biggest time. Yeah. And he'd be like, well, but, but 60 out of 65 times I did the right thing. That's a pretty good rate. Be like, okay, you know, he's just a different kind of he's just a different kind of dude that way, and I don't know if that's necessarily wrong, but it's a very different mentality where he almost views himself. If you've ever watched the the coaches' film, um, you know, they show you sort of the situation right before you watch the play, but it's very hard to get a feel for a game as if you you know you were there, right? It, it's all kind of in a bubble, and it's almost like he looks at it that way, where it's. Just individual plays, did I do what I was supposed to do? And he doesn't view the game like we do, which is hard for us because this is all we do. All we do is storylines and narratives and things like that. I'm not sure that he views this like we do. He kind of looks at it like, this is what I'm paid to do. Did I do my job that day? Yeah. Well, and and the downside of that is never has it been, you know, I guess less possible to take that attitude. It's because of social media, just the way that you really can hear the noise more than ever before. I mean, quarterbacks can kind of isolate themselves in past generations. You can't do that now. Mm-hmm. In Kirk Cousins' favor is that even though you can develop a certain reputation, 
you can also change the narrative really fast yes. in today's society. So, like, you can win a couple of games, have a couple of those performances, and all of a sudden people go, oh, wait a minute, man, that guy can – he can do it. He yes. can win in clutch moments. So yeah. that's the thing working in Kirk's favor. Strong finish, and people will change what they say about you. Okay, last thing before I let you go, Myron, and uh, maybe I'll just because uh, Mackie and Judd uh, are coming up next at from yeah. three to four, and then Mackie and Judd with Rami from four to six. Because I, you know, I got to hit the pool out here. Oh know? man, come on! Uh, and so far, right. no, it's, it's, it's never enough. It's never enough. <laughs> um, your your game of the week that you absolutely must watch. There's a couple of nominatable games, I think, for this week's slate. Yeah, for for me, I love the Texans Titans. Like to to me, the Titans are a team where if if they get in, they're going to be very very interesting. I think Pittsburgh wins the tiebreaker for that sixth spot, that second wild card spot. But if the Titans can win that game, prove that they can beat a team like Houston, they already beat the Chiefs uh, in Nashville. We might be having a different conversation about their future uh, as a playoff threat. So that, to me, is the most fascinating game. Look at us, loving Houston and Tennessee. Who would have thought? <laughs> Not me. Um, yeah, Green Bay, Chicago, honestly. I mean, for most of my lifetime, Myron, Green Bay, Chicago hasn't mattered. So, all right, yeah. Green Bay, Chicago <laughs> matters on Sunday. And uh, you know, that one matters a lot to the Vikings. If Chicago wins, Week 17 might be interesting. If Green Bay wins, then you feel like there's really no shot to win the North. The variation of possible outcomes over the final three weeks for the Vikings goes all the way from you don't make it to you are winning the NFC North and hosting a playoff game. It's crazy. And and that's where it's going to be great. Foot to the the pedal or whatever. Gas pedal to the metal. Yeah, pedal. Whatever. Metal, metal, metal. Put the metal on the pedal. There's a, there's metal involved and a pedal, and yeah. that's what it's going to feel like. Couple other ones. Heavy metal on the pedal. Uh, that should be interesting. Buffalo and Pittsburgh on Sunday night. Um, I like it. I, I don't think Buffalo is really for real, but Pittsburgh is still playing their number three quarterback, and uh, amazing what they've been able to do. And Los Angeles, Dallas. Dallas has a chance to fall out of the top of the putrid NFC East, and if you're a Vikings fan. How weird does it feel? You are rooting hard for Dallas because if Los Angeles loses that game, this playoff race is nearly over if the Vikings win in Los Angeles. But if it goes the other way and the Rams win and the Vikings lose, then, uh uh-oh, you are uh, out of a playoff spot at that point. So Yeah, you don't want that situation. That should be a good one. Myron, always appreciate your time, man. Great to catch up with you. Um, I know you're going to be on the road, too, so I hope it's somewhere warm and you can sort of enjoy it, but not as much as I'm enjoying this. (laughs) Not like L.A. Not like L.A. I appreciate you all listening, and uh, make sure you look on the Purple Daily podcast feed for the post-game reaction with myself from Los Angeles, if I haven't mentioned it, and Judd Zolgad as well. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome into hour number two of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you as always. If you missed any of the first hour with myself and Myron Metcalf, make sure you go to wherever you get your podcast, type in Purple Daily, and then every single day you can have football, 
connected directly to your brain, and it's the best. So um, I'm going to be here for another half hour. Then i got to run. Mackie and Judd are going to take over after that. They're going to do some hot routes and then right into Mackie and Judd with Rami from 4 to 6, as they do every day. So I appreciate them doing that. And uh, I, I want to talk before we get to Daniel Popper of The Athletic, who covers the Chargers, just real quick about Adam Thielen coming back, because now everything is lined up for Thielen to return. Adam Schefter has reported it locally. Chad Graff has reported it, too, that Thielen is in line to be back on the field for the Minnesota Vikings. And what I, I can't help but think about is how Thielen being gone was just the right touch of adversity that this team needed to overcome and also set up a lot of different players to succeed. And when I looked at the numbers for Kirk Cousins throwing to everybody else that was not named Stephon Diggs after Adam Thielen went out from the first drive in Detroit until now when he returns, Kirk Cousins has a quarterback rating of 121 when throwing to everyone else except for Stephon Diggs. So Irv Smith, Delvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Kyle Rudolph. And where it's really key to me is the younger players who have been able to step up into these roles that now can be counted on if the Vikings have any more injuries on offense. Uh, Alexander Madison um, is, is not in good shape right now because of an ankle injury, um, but he has shown that he can step in if you need him. Uh, we've also seen that B.C. Johnson can step in and make plays, and I saw a Pro Football Focus tweet out that B.C. Johnson has the the, the lowest drop grade from PFF, that being a good thing, meaning he hasn't dropped any passes, basically. And discovering Kyle Rudolph again, but Irv Smith stepping into the role that we thought Irv Smith would be capable of, but weren't sure if he would really be able to do it. And Delvin Cook talked about this a little bit this week, about the young players growing during Thielen's absence. It's changed a lot. You've seen guys grow up um, fast. Trez and what you're for, but I think Trez... You know, still got no ceiling to him. He's still growing. You know, he, he's still finding his role. Ola Beast, he grew up so fast. He's out there making plays. Like I said, Rudy's became a valuable option, which he's always been. We just get him in the ball more. And you're just seeing guys step up with Adam down. But I'm hoping to have him back. <laughs> we want him back. And now the big question is for Kirk Cousins, how will you make sure that you get Thielen involved? And how will he make plays down the field and take some of the pressure off of Stephon Diggs to always be the guy that's going deep and making plays down the field, but also not going into the game feeling like you have to work the ball to Adam Thielen. And I know Kirk Cousins talked about this, and I'll play that for you in a second, but he's the type of quarterback that will always say, no, I'm going through my reads, I'm going through my progressions, I'm not going to try and force the ball to him, that's not what happens but it's only natural, right? The guy's been gone for so long. He has been such a great player for this team, a pro bowler, that you would want to do that. Now, the question is, can the offense step up even more with Adam Thielen in there with that added extra weapon? And I do think it causes massive problems for the defense now that you have other players developed who you can trust to use and two guys who can go deep, two guys who can make plays. It's just how they decide to distribute the ball to Adam Thielen and to Stephon Diggs will be something that we're going to be watching closely. And here's Cousins talking about having his full complement of weapons. 
Well, I'm excited. Uh, the only thing you're worried about is, hey, we've, we've got a good rhythm going. You know, it, it does feel different to, to when you have him back. You know, it, it has a different dynamic, and so you you just, uh, you know, joke with him that, hey, don't rock the boat too much. You know, we've been doing pretty good, but uh, I would like to think that Adam Thielen is going to help our offense, and if nothing else, you know, the corners, the safeties, the linebackers, the defense, they have to honor the fact that he's on the field opposite Stefan Diggs. You have to, you know, cover and be aware of that many more people. Um, who have put good stuff on tape in the past. All right, now we welcome into the show, he covers the Los Angeles Chargers for The Athletic, Daniel Popper. What's going on, Daniel? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. I understand you're stuck in traffic as we speak. Uh, as as usual, that's LA for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to finding my way to the stadium. Uh, maybe I'll leave at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, can we start there with just the situation with the Los Angeles Chargers and the stadium and the future stadium and and the fact that a lot of people are expecting this place to be extremely purple on Sunday? Like, what what is the feeling of going and covering a game where it always feels like a road game, even though you're covering the home team? It's certainly odd, and yeah, I would certainly expect the stadium to be packed with purple on Sunday. You know, when the Packers were in town, it was completely taken over by Packers fans. When the Steelers were in town, it was completely taken over by Steelers fans. Now, now the one thing to know, it's a soccer stadium. So it's the LA Galaxy Stadium. It's only 26,000 seats, so it's very small. Um, and so it's a really cool place to watch a football game because you're as close to the action as basically anywhere uh, in the NFL. Um, but basically what happened was that you have fewer seats, you know, simple supply and demand. The ownership had to raise the prices to make the same amount of money. Um, so they priced out a lot of the fans that would take the time to go to a game. Um, now, you know, opposing fans that are heading to the stadium, um, you know, they're not too worried about it. They're paying a lot of money for secondary tickets on the secondary market anyway, so it's not that much more expensive for them. Um, so what a lot of fans can do is, buy season tickets and then sell them to opposing fans and make a lot of profit. And that's what's happening right now. So I, I don't view it as as big of a problem with the fan base. It's just sort of simple economics that's going on. I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens when they move into the new stadium next year in Englewood, SoFi Stadium. Reports have them struggling to sell season tickets, but I don't think you're going to have as big of an issue next year in the new stadium as you do right now. I think you'll have some more fans because they are selling tickets for very reasonable prices. You know, the, the upper bowl tickets, it's a hundred dollar PSL with, um, you know, only 50 to $60 per ticket. Um, so I think you'll have some more fans in there next year, but it's, it's bizarre. It's certainly bizarre. And, and, you know, the players won't say outright that, you know, it has a huge effect on them. It's sort of a we, you know, us against them mentality and all we need is us type deal, but it does. It, it has to impact them because you walk into your home stadium and you get booed from the get go. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is weird. I I used to uh, live in Buffalo and cover the Bills, and they would play games in Toronto. Where and people would think like, oh, Toronto's right next to Buffalo, no big deal, right? Just like they think San Diego, it's right next to Los Angeles. Fans must drive up and and go to the games, but uh, not an easy drive, as you have already indicated by the traffic. And I I don't know. I I feel like Daniel, it just wouldn't be a Chargers town, and that it's going to take a while to kind of rebuild the fan base almost from scratch would that be accurate yeah you're spot on you're spot on that, that's sort of what happened I, I haven't gotten to the bottom of it but it seems to me like the spanos family sort of underestimated how much vitriol there would be um you know from the san diego fans 
I would, I would, you know, I talk to a lot of fans. You know, I've gone around and canvassed the stadium, and, and there are fans that make the trip up from San Diego. Um, but my guess is about seventy-five percent of that fan base down there just wrote off the team completely. Yeah, yeah. Just because they were so hurt by it, um, and and they 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 stayed had so much pain by losing their team because of losing their team. It was sort of an institution in that city. I mean, they've been there for decades and decades and decades, and then all of a sudden they moved They moved to a different city. And it's not just that they moved to a different city. It's that they moved to Los Angeles. And there is a sort of big brother, little brother rivalry between L.A. and San Diego. And it was like it, it would almost have been better if they moved the team to a different city and not Los Angeles. But it's just so close, and it's still right there all the time, just a two-hour drive away. Um, and so you lost a lot of fans. I, maybe they anticipated that fans would be driving up from San Diego and that's how they would sort of bridge this gap until they could, you know, really establish a fan base in Los Angeles. But that's not really happening right now. And, you know, Ingle is leaving a little bit further away than Carson. So I don't, I don't know if San Diego fans will ever be making the trip up here. There's your, your few diehard fans that are never going to stop rooting for the team. They're, they root for the players and not for ownership. And that's sort of their explanation for why they continue to root. But, they did. They lost a ton of fans, and I think that's a big factor in why this, this sort of stadium situation is playing out as it is. Talking with Daniel Popper, he covers the Chargers for the Athletic, and you know, I, I, I guess I, I was in a market where they always talked about: Are they going to move this team eventually? Are they going to move the Buffalo Bills? Of course, here in Minnesota, they're locked down. You know, they got the huge stadium; everything's all good. So Minnesota fans can't really understand what it's like to see. Uh, you know, that conversation happening all the time. And then if you were Cleveland, you got uprooted and had kind of the soul ripped out of that city. Uh, you know, with, with San Diego, I, I felt for them. And I think that even if in, you're in Los Angeles and you're just a football fan, A, you probably like the Rams, the Raiders, or you just picked a random team to like. But B, there's got to be some sense of, man, you really uh, took the heart out of a city by pulling San Diego out of there after they had been there for a really long time. I mean, you were talking about San Diego in AFL championship games way back in the day. It's taken even a really long time for anyone outside of Los Angeles, like myself, to not say the San Diego Chargers every time we talk about them. Yeah, it still happens. I mean, we, we're in the press box, and, and you know, PA announcers will say the San Diego Chargers. Referees will say the San Diego Chargers. This was like for the longest time one of the one of the you know the seminal brands of the NFL, and uh, it no longer exists. And they're really struggling to find an identity. And that's really what it feels like to me is like the, the franchise doesn't really have an identity anymore. They want to be this LA team, but the problem is, you know, there was no football in Los Angeles for an entire generation, and so you had a whole bunch of people growing up who loved football but had no team in Los Angeles. So right. Like you said. They started rooting for the Raiders. They started rooting for the Packers. They started rooting for the Cowboys. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you bring two teams back in. And yeah, is it a big enough market to hypothetically, uh, you know, host two NFL teams? Yeah, it is. But when you've been out of the market for 25 years, you can't just come back in and expect, hey, we're back. Right. In the case of the Rams or in the Chargers case, like, hey, we're here. Everyone root for us. It's like, no, that's not how fanship works. Everyone knows that. The fans that grew up as Packers fans and grew up as Raiders fans aren't going to switch allegiances just and want their money? No. They they built that relationship with the Raiders and the Packers over the course of 20, 25 years, 30 years, however long, and they're not going to switch just because you're here. And and I don't know if it was an, an underestimation or I don't know if they're looking ahead. And You know, what, what people in the building will tell you is, you know, we knew this was going to take five, ten years, maybe longer to develop. But in my mind, I'm like, well, is that a sound business practice and does that make sense? To me, it feels like part of it was just an underestimation 
on on behalf of the Spanos family. Yeah, and I guess it wouldn't surprise me if uh, NFL people got a little too high on themselves and believed that uh, they could they could oh we're just the NFL you should just love us I mean because as you know as a reporter teams and the league always have that sort of um, disposition like oh whoa 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 we're we're kind of a big deal here so you're just gonna love us no matter what and uh, obviously not entirely the case there now uh, I, I wonder Daniel um, I, I want to just shift gears here to the team on the field. Because because uh, it is a fascinating team to look through the schedule and, and see everything that has happened. And when I go to Pro Football Reference and look at the expected win-loss record versus the actual win-loss record, uh, there's a pretty big gap there. This should be like an eight-win team, right? I mean, how crazy has this season been for you with all the, the, the times where they've been so close to winning and then come up short? So the best way to, to put this in perspective is they have a plus 38-point differential. That is a better point differential than the ten and three Seahawks, the eight and, the eight and five Steelers, uh, the I think it's well the Texans eight and five. They're better than the Texans who have a winning record, um, and then they're one point behind the ten and three Green Bay Packers. Man. That's how that's that's how crazy this season has been. They've lost all eight of their games by one possession, and it's not just like you know oh like you know they pull in uh, you know within a within a touchdown late, which has happened in some games. But most of them have been just these soul-crushing losses, like two touch game-winning touchdowns called back in Nashville in the last 20 seconds of the game, and then Melvin Gordon fumbles at the goal line to fumble the game away, or Philip Rivers while they're in field goal range in Detroit down three points, throwing a, basically a, a hail mary in the end zone for some reason and throwing the interception, or the loss in Denver a couple weeks ago where Casey Hayward gets called for a pass interference penalty that yes. might or might not have been pass interference. I saw that, that one. That wasn't. Running into the cornerback on purpose should not be pass interference on the cornerback. Okay, go, but go ahead. Continue. Yeah, but, but exactly. That's the thing. It's like there's there's like seven seconds left, and the only, the only play they're running is throw it up and try and draw pass interference, and somehow it works out, and then somehow Brandon McManus drills the field goal and they lose the game. I mean, it's been like that all season. And, you know, it's it's partly bad luck, and it's partly they've just been making really boneheaded mistakes at really awful times. Mm-hmm. And and, and Philip Rivers has 15 interceptions on the season, and a, a number of those have come either late in games or inside the red zone. Um, and they lead the league in red zone turnovers with six. When you do that and you suffer the kind of injuries they've suffered, you're going to not be able to pull out these close games. Um, so I think it's a little bit of bad luck and also a little bit of just making like bad mistakes at really, really, really big moments. So I, I wanted to ask you about Rivers because I was looking at his PFF grades by game, and it's kind of hilarious. I mean, it's talk about a roller coaster. Last week against Jacksonville, one of the best quarterback performances this year maybe. I mean, just uh, a brilliant game from him. He's had other games this year where he's graded extremely high. He's put up great numbers. And then there are other times where he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Is that sort of your reality with Phillip Rivers now is that you go into every game not really sure if if it's going to be Rivers putting up huge numbers or throwing three interceptions? Yeah. I mean, that's basically where it's at. Um, you know, Last week against Jacksonville was kind of a weird game, um, just because they that team was not ready to play. The Jaguars, I, I don't want to say they quit, because I don't think any team really quits. Like these guys are all playing for their next contract; they don't want to put that tape on there. But there is there is something to be said about a team that is ready to play 
and rallying together and still playing for their coach versus a team that isn't. And so, like, Rivers played a really, really good game, but he had a ton of wide-open receivers. It wasn't like he was fitting balls into tight windows. Like, it wasn't that kind of scenario. Like, guys were just running free because the Jags had no idea what they were doing. They were playing, like, third-string linebackers that were jumping at every play-action fake, and guys were running wide open past the linebackers. Um, I'll give him credit. It was a good game. But, you know, like, he's had other good games like against the Packers. I think the Packers was his best game of the season, just, like, as far as making – very difficult throws and not turning the ball over and that sort of thing. But it's been up and down. And, and the lows, your highs have been incredibly high, and the lows have been incredibly low. Yeah. Um, you know, that two-game stretch against the Raiders and the Chiefs, two huge divisional games where he threw seven interceptions. Um, and there's just been other games where, where the turnovers have just been absolutely crippling. Even in the in the loss to the Broncos, you know, I think he had, his pass rating came out to like 106 or something like that. So, you know, statistically, everyone was like, oh, he had a fine game. But the one pick he threw – was inside his own 30-yard line and led directly to a touchdown. They lost that game by three points. Like, when I look at a quarterback and how they played in the game, like, yeah, he might have had a good rating and he might have put up decent numbers, but that interception, to me, you can't make that. You can't throw that interception, especially at 38 years old. And it's like he can't change how he plays. You know, like, he's always been a gunslinger. He always will be a gunslinger. And even at 38 years old, he's not going to change his mentality. The problem is he doesn't have the same arm strength. He doesn't have the same mobility. Not that he was ever a super mobile quarterback. But he doesn't have the same mobility, um, and so he's trying to make the same type of throws with the with the diminished skill set. And the result is quite a few underthrown balls that have led to interceptions. I, I'm glad that you that you talked about it that way because the journalist in me loves the idea of a washed up quarterback trying to find just enough to still win. Or, or I mean, even this down the stretch here is really interesting. Probably from your perspective as a writer of this this great great quarterback for a long time, Pro Bowler, all, all the you know accolades and so forth who doesn't have it anymore but is trying to find it even when there's nothing else to play for. I, I got to feel like this these final three games are going to be really fascinating from your perspective. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he responds because you're talking about like an ultimate competitor. I'm sure everyone listening to this probably saw that uh, that clip circulating of yes. him like after he threw that screen pass to Austin Eckler and was like yelling in Yannick and Gakwai's ear like, 90-yard touchdown. Yes, yes. Like, so he's he's a fierce competitor, and and while he might stand on the podium and say that he doesn't hear all the detractors and hear all the the criticism, people saying that he's washed up, all that kind of stuff, like he hears it because after the game in Jacksonville, you know, he was walking through the locker room on his way to the press conference, being like, "Oh, everyone that was in there for the loss is better get in there now for this win." Like, <laughs> who's old now? Like yelling. I was the only reporter in there, <laughs> so I don't know who who he was talking to because I I never go to his press conferences after games because I'm always in the locker room collecting yeah. stuff from from other players, but, like, he hears it, and he really wants to prove to everyone that he's not washed out. Now, is he capable of doing that? We'll see. I'm fat. I'm really fascinated to see how he plays this weekend against a really good Vikings defense and one that will scheme him up well with Mike Zimmer coaching. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, he's going to be back next year. The team wants him back next year. He's their quarterback. They really haven't changed their opinion on him this season. They, they view a lot of it as related to, you know, him not trusting the offensive line which I can get when he doesn't trust his offensive line. He starts feeling pressure, seeing ghosts and, and, and feeling pressure when it's not there and, and throws off his back foot and makes worse decisions. And that's sort of how he's been his whole career. In their minds, if they, if they, you know, can, can fortify that offensive line for next year, then they might get a different version of Rivers. I don't know if I believe that 100%. I see a quarterback that has some diminishing skills, like I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he's. I, I would expect him to go out and, and play decently well over his last two games, just because you know he's he's such a fierce competitor, and it's something that's on his mind. Uh, we'll see if he's able to do that. But he certainly wants to and well, prove everyone wrong. Uh, Mike Zimmer said uh, the other day that Rivers will walk by you as a coach and say, "Like what you call that a blitz? Like what, what you, that was supposed to beat me or something like that?" So uh, it's sort of a fun element of it that there aren't too many quarterbacks who talk as much trash as Philip Rivers, and uh, and that's something kind of to look forward to. And maybe in a twenty six thousand seat stadium, we'll be able to hear it from the press box. Um, last thing for you, Daniel, I I want to know about this defense with Derwin James versus when they did not have Derwin James because. It's still a defense that has put up some really good numbers overall, um, but is got to be clearly stronger now with Derwin James than they were before, right? Yeah, so, so the key is that so they got Derwin James back, but they also got Adrian Phillips back in the exact same game. He missed, uh, you know, eight weeks with a broken arm. And he's like, he's their backup strong safety, but also plays a lot in their dime packages. He's sort of like a like a linebacker safety combo. And if, if you're going to go with smaller personnel packages and they'll bring out their dime and play in a sort of a, that, that combo role, he's a big hitter. And also he's an extremely intelligent football player. So getting both those guys back has completely changed the defense. I was talking to a defensive player yesterday who was like, we're literally a different unit hmm. with those two guys. Like it's not even the same unit. It's completely different just because of the energy that those guys bring, the playmaking ability. Um, you know, and Derwin's sort of been sl- – you see flashes of it. He's been back for two games. You know, he, he came on a blitz and, defla- and batted a pass down last week. He had a tackle for a loss in his first game back. So you see sort of glimpses of it. But everyone, you know, media and even people in that building are waiting for that sort of, you know, vintage. I mean, it's not really vintage for a guy in the second in his second year, but like that vintage Derwin James play where he completely changes the game with either an interception or a big-time sack or something like that. I would expect that to come in this game just because he's finally getting his feet back underneath him. He's looking sharper, more explosive trusting that foot a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a defensive player of the year candidate if he's on the field for 16 games. And so that's what they were missing this year. And, and they were able to, to cover the holes. I think a lot of the credit should go to Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator, for scheming scheming up great, you know, great defensive uh, performances against some really good quarterbacks. They played well against Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, and a lot of that should, should fall on Bradley's shoulders for his, uh, his schemes. But, um yeah, I would expect a big performance from Durham this weekend. I think he's he's, get, he's approaching that level uh, in terms of how ready he looks and how explosive he looks. Yep, and if there's one thing that can throw off Kirk Cousins aside from pressure, it's when something doesn't look like what it is, if that makes sense. Like when the Vikings played the Patriots last year, they stood up people at the line of scrimmage and had people walking around before the snap, and, and Cousins got very confused because I think he makes his decisions about his reads before he takes the snap, and uh, someone like Derwin James can have the same impact that Harrison Smith does here. Um, and, and very few guys can do that. So last thing before I let you go, Daniel, this is uh, this has been great. Um, these are two cursed franchises, right? They miss field goals at the biggest times. They have weird losses, crazy things. They don't have Super Bowls. Um, what's the what's the crazy outcome that happens here? Like, I want you to come up with something that would be insane, but also super typical of Vikings and Chargers. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go kick six. Michael Badgley attempts. A 55-yard field goal as time expires at the end of the first half, and the Vikings return it for a touchdown to take the lead, and they never relinquish it. <laughs> okay, all right, that that's that's perfect. Um, so would would that be like the what was it Auburn Alabama where the the kick comes short or something, and yes. a guy catches it and returns? Yeah, okay, that uh, that is that is that's very the craziest crazy. thing I can think of on a football field. 
Uh, yep, that's very creative. See, I was thinking like a very uh, like a short chip shot field goal to win, where we're all like, okay, well, who, either either team all set, they have it. Big win for the Chargers. Big win for oh no, a twenty-eight yard field goal goes wide left or something, you know, <laughs> something like that's that. A good one too. Or, like or possibly that. there's got to be a safety involved in this game. There <laughs> will be a safety. Uh, all right, uh, Daniel, great stuff. Follow him on Twitter Dan, at Daniel Popper. You can read his work at the Athletic. Um, always great stuff uh, and, and great to catch up with you. And I hope eventually you get to your destination that you get out of this traffic and you make it. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Okay, appreciate Daniel Popper coming on. And uh, that is it for me from Los Angeles until after the game. Make sure you go to the Purple Daily feed that uh, we will have an instant reaction for myself and Judd Zolgad. Basically, as soon as I get done in the locker room after the game, I'll be on the phone with Zolgad, and we will record a podcast from there. So it'll be podcast only, and then, of course, we'll be back on Monday with Sage Rosenfels to break it down. But if you need it hooked into your veins right after the game, we will have that for you on the Purple Daily feed. So uh, appreciate all of you listening to this California version of Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd are going to come on next, do a little hot routes, have a little fun there, and I will talk to you guys on Monday. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Do your holiday shopping online and save up to 70% with the Score North Holiday Online Auction Golf packages, electric bikes, countertops, sea life passes, and more. To view and bid on items, visit scorenorth.com and enter keyword auction. We will talk more in depth about this at the top of Mackie and Judd with Rami starting in about 20 minutes time for the Vikings final injury report for the week heading into Vikings Chargers this weekend. Came out today, the notables Alexander Madison and J. Ron Curse are out due to injuries. Alexander Madison, Madison an ankle injury, J. Ron Curse a toe injury there. Daron did not practice this week. BC Johnson listed as questionable as well as Xavier Rhodes, but the one who is not listed with a game status, meaning he should be full go to play on Sunday, is Adam Thielen, who the Vikings have not had playing for the last four weeks. That's your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Oh, hey, guys. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Rocks on Purple Daily. 580! 397! And Collars, you'd think he'd be, I don't know, sunning himself in Southern California, but he's probably just like. Inside some hotel room, watching grinding YouTube tape. videos of grinding tape. football, right? right. Yeah, either sure. that or just the old school NFL skills competitions. Oh, those are great! He's grinding, awesome. yeah. He's Warm grinding moon. fullback tape. Fullback tape. He spent like, tape. No, seriously, he saw he saw that that stat that that somebody put out yesterday about fullback uh, snap counts. And I think the Vikings were second to Baltimore. Wait, wait. Say fullback snap counts again. <laughs> Percentage of fullback snap counts, to be exact. Football. And then the next thing he did was wrote a big thing about C.J. Ham and the Vikings' percentage of snap counts for their fullbacks. Fullback snap counts, football. baby. There's nothing more football-y football oh, than fullback snap counts. Meat and potatoes yeah. football there. Mm. It is. The fullback is. is back, boys. Don't look now. The fullback is back. It, it is. It is. Gary Kubiak. Vogue. Bringing him back. So we are making up with Rami. We got in here 25 minutes early just because... Hot routes came calling. So, Jonathan, why don't you lead us through some hot routes? We'll talk Adam Thielen off the top of the uh, 
next hour here. We'll fire up the music for this. Uh, last night in their blowout loss, there was a moment when Sam Darnold was coming off the field after yet another unsuccessful drive for the Jets. And it looked like he had some not-so-nice words with Jets head coach Adam Gase. Their backup quarterback's face, who was standing like right by there, said it was a little bit more than an I love you from Sam Darnold. Gase isn't going to be the head coach there next year, is he? And the second part of the question, if you were a prospective head coach, would you want that job? Uh, number one, all indications are that he will be back because <laughs> he's in year one. He shouldn't be back, but he will be back. And uh, the answer is absolutely no. And it's not because of the, the Jets are dysfunctional at the executive level, yes. But what makes them really dysfunctional is their ownership is putrid. Woody Johnson and that family, they are a complete train wreck debacle. So, no, if I were a guy that considered myself to be in line for various jobs and the Jets came calling, no interest at all until that team is no longer owned by the Johnsons. If I want to be an NFL head coach, if I, and if I think that's a realistic possibility, I'm taking any of the 30 jobs that are offered to me. Because there are only 30 jobs in this world of NFL head coach. And who's to say, if I wait a year from now, if I'm still a hot commodity, if I'm still somebody that somebody wants to hire, things change fast in the NFL. And beyond that, I'm one to gamble on myself. I feel like I, if even if I'm going into a crappy situation, I'll make it a winning situation, regardless of what challenges may present themselves to me. I'm a winner. All I do is win, 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 win. So, um, you're, uh, what was the first part of the question? I said there's only thirty. There's only thirty NFL head coaching jobs. Well, thirty, thirty-two. Thirty-two. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you get a chance at one of them, yeah, you take it. Strong. Will Gase be back? Um, Gase. Gase will not be back. Yeah. And well. He shouldn't be back, but it is the Jets, and so they make awful decisions all the time. He shouldn't be back. And I think what we're learning here is the the main mistake GMs and owners make when it comes to hiring head coaches. They get so obsessed with scheme guys, right? Well, we need to, who's the next brilliant schemer who's going to scheme an offense and X's and O's and grind film. And when it comes to developing quarterbacks, it's less about scheme and more about can you build a human connection with a 22-year-old who needs to understand life in the NFL and fast defenses? It's not about, how can I drop an extra great play here? Like That's important, too. But you look at Adam Gaze through that prism. Does Adam Gaze, with his weird, wacky eyes and his bizarre demeanor, does he look like a guy that's going to be able to just like put his arm around a quarterback, either either tough love or empowering him, and say, all right, here's what you need to do to be a stud in this league? He just seems like a weirdo. And I don't think really I Adam mean, like, Gates is a weirdo. Never, I would have never made <laughs> that assumption. But hold on a second. Oh wait, wait, wait! He did a great job with Peyton Manning. That's the thing. Late like, in Peyton's career, when Peyton had no. Oh wait, he did have an idea what he's doing. Sorry, never dude, mind. Like Peyton Manning is older than Adam Gaze too. You know. So that's that's the other thing. Success by association. Stay away from it. Yeah. Find out that that guy was actually the engine. And uh, well, I think you're finding out with Ryan Tannehill that this guy has no idea how to make a quarterback good. Because now that Ryan Tannehill's, Tannehill's away from A, the Dolphins, and B, Adam Gase, and he's in just what seems to be a better system for him, he's actually a legit good quarterback. That's one reason why I would want the job is because you've got what looked to be some pretty good offensive weapons in Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold, who if you get him, get him away from Adam Gase, he might actually be a much better quarterback than he is. Then you look at the rest of your division, you have the Dolphins who will never be good because they're the Dolphins, and then you have the Patriots who... Their two pieces that have made them successful for the past 20 years, they're getting older. And Tom Brady's not going to be there forever. Belichick's probably not going to be there forever. 
I would take that job because it looks like everything for you anyways, besides maybe the bills there, is pointing upwards. I have a confession to make. I was once an Adam Gase guy. Ooh, wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, because of the bear, the bear Hi, Rami. With, <laughs> yeah, but you can't hold, hold that against them because you're a bear. They, they, bear, exactly, they, interviewed, bear they interviewed Gase and John Fox to be sickness. the head coach. They hired Fox. They made Gase the offensive coordinator. And Gase, Jay Cutler's best year was under Adam Gase. And then he left for the Dolphins job. And I sat back and I went, watch. It's going to be proven. <laughs> We hired the no. wrong guy. When we hired John Fox, yeah. we hired the wrong guy. It should have been that guy right there. And uh, They were both wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like They were on, both the wrong guy. On what planet would you look at that Broncos? I'm not saying you, I guess, specifically, but like anyone. But you're in this group, I suppose. Would you look at that Broncos offense led by a 38, 39-year-old Peyton Manning and say... You know what the real key ingredient to this is? No, it wasn't. That random it was what assistant he did, coach. It was what he did with Jay Cutler. Dude, he got Jay Cutler to stop throwing interceptions. Do you, you realize how amazing that is? Fair enough. That is miracle work. It's crazy. It's fair enough. All right. I'm going to swipe a question. Football. I'm going to swipe a question from uh, Mackie and Judd Prep. Vic Fangio came out yesterday and spitballed a new NFL alignment format. He said we should get rid of divisions, have two 16-team conferences, and have each team play everyone in their conferences once for 15 games, plus a cross-conference rivalry game. Your thoughts, boys? Jonathan, uh, you mentioned this is from Mackie and Judd with Rami Show Prep. There was an email thread, and I asked for a soundbite as to uh, as my answer Let me to this very question. Do you have that soundbite? Well, I'm playing the NFL music off the same bus. Oh, Give me one sec. Okay. Why don't somebody else can go ahead and answer while he digs up the soundbite, if, okay. if you don't mind, please. I... Actually, sort of love this oh, idea by God. Vic Fangio. Dude. So Vic Fangio wants to get rid of divisions, and he wants each conference to play everyone fifteen times. You play every team plays every team in your conference fifteen times, play an equal schedule. It's great, and then you play one rival from the other conference. Um, I don't hate it. The only thing I do hate is I don't think you should play all of the teams once. I think you should still play the Packers twice. I think I think you should have. Some geographical rivals in there that you do play more than once, but you know, but then, but now your schedule is no longer like the whole point of it is to even up the strength of schedule. But, so I love the outside the box thinking though to I, get rid of seven to nine playoff teams. But I fixed this like last week. This is so this is so simple. You put in and, and this happened last time. This happened was ten years ago, right? Uh, in the NFC West, the whole yeah, Seattle, Seattle Rams debacle. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's Seattle the, won the game. Too. So here's the fix: if you are there, well, there's two. There's two fixes. One is drastic. One is not as drastic. Both work. If you are a sub 500 division winning team, you either a do not qualify for the playoffs, and your division is just sent home a, as a whole. Or if you absolutely hate that. Then what you do is you go to the playoffs, but you are not the you do not get the home game seed. Okay, like that's the fix here. I because I like divisions, but if this happens once every ten years, that's ten years too much. But it's not a common occurrence, right? So let's just ha- have it at the very least, so that if I go seven and nine, I'm Dallas or Philadelphia. I don't get a home game. I actually think Vic Fangio's fix is better for the NBA than it is for the NFL. Because in the NBA division, like we have division, that divisions don't matter yeah. at all. I like playing your other. Con- I like other conference games. I like crossing o- over more than once as the Vikings. Sure, sure. Is he basically proposing we go back to AFL NFL? 
That's basically what he's proposing. He's like, oh, pretty much it. Let's take the NFL back to the 60s. Is what he's is what Vic Fangio is saying. Would you expect anything less from a guy no. named Vic Fangio? No. And doesn't he have something Vic, to do? It is by Put far the worst idea I've heard when we talk realignment and reseeding of any possible sport. Jonathan? is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Oh, come on. That's exactly Think what I thought. On Vic Fangio. Not that bad, when yeah. I saw Vic Fangio say that this morning on Get Up, that was exactly what ran through my mind. It is a terrible, terrible idea. Why? By nah, Vic I'm Fangio. What do you mean? What? You're in for Why it? Why is it terrible? Yeah. I don't like it, but it's not terrible. Because I, I don't want to see the same 15 teams every year. That's boring. That's as boring as it can get. This is why interleague play is a thing in in Major League Baseball because so you, it got boring seeing the just same quickly, damn teams the Vikings, over and over again. The Vikings get the Lions twice a year for my entire <laughs> lifetime. My life already sucks. It can't get much worse. I'm good with just seeing the Lions once a year. Exactly. So you would be pulling back on that. Oh. No, but you, but you but you would also be pulling back on Vikings ever playing the Patriots. Vikings ever playing the Steelers. Yeah, I don't like the it. Chiefs. I just don't hate. I, I don't think it's re- yeah. the most ridiculous thing I've heard. Sean Watson. I love the outside the box thinking and let's apply it to the NBA where again the (laughs) NBA has divisions did anyone know that if you're listening did you know the NBA has divisions (laughs) can anyone can anyone honest to God can anyone name the divisions in this room uh, I know there's a, there's, my head. A, there's a Midwest. There's a Central. Right there's a Central. Central right with the uh, Bulls and the Bucks right right yep yep. there's a Northwest yeah Hold on, I gotta pull this up here. Are the wolves in the northwest? I thought that's the wolves are in the northwest, right? Pacific. I love you asking a question you don't know the answer. I know there's there's an Atlantic. There's an Atlantic for sure. There's a Pacific and a Central Northwest. Something like that's what the wolves are in, right? I mean, it's good. You're right. The only thing the division is good for is helping with scheduling. Other than that, you can get rid of divisions. Oh, well, but, they, but like the Wolves play in a division with the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't make sense. When, when they should be in one with Milwaukee and Chicago. Right. So Vic Fangio, great NBA mind here. All right, what's the next question? <laughs> next question. Larry Fitzgerald Jr. is possibly playing his last game at home this weekend as he nears what many think is the end to his Hall of Fame career. He spent his entire career in Arizona despite chances to leave and go elsewhere to better teams at times. Who was your favorite one-team player, and who's the most likely one-team guy for the Vikings? Uh, I just need clarification here. Mick Tinglehoff never had played anywhere else, right, Judd? Mick Tinglehoff <laughs> no. was a lifetime Viking. He signed here, yeah. Mick Tinglehoff is my favorite one-team football player. You just player. like saying the name Mick Tinglehoff. Because his name is awesome, yeah. Mick uh-huh. Tinglehoff. He also played in an, in an era where you know it wasn't like guys had... Of you know, like hyperbaric chambers to get healthy in. Like you broke bones and you stayed in the game. And that guy played for what twenty years, yeah. almost twenty years. Yeah, in the sixties and seventies, the hard knocks era of football. I would say he, Mick Tinglehoff. He and Jim Marshall played forever, playing in the cold weather, outdoor stadium all the time. That's that's dedication right there. For me, it's uh, Walter Payton, lifetime Bear, greatest football player of all time, the first athlete that I like admired growing up like my earliest sports memories are watching those bears teams when walter payton was at the the height of his powers and uh i can't even picture him in a different uniform i couldn't i couldn't even 
use my imagination to conjure up the image of Walter Payton in any uniform but a Bears uniform. Nor do I want to. If he played in today's era, he'd, he'd be just like Adrian Peterson, though, right? The Bears would have cut bait when he's like 30. Probably, he yeah. for Washington or Probably. somebody. He didn't get the touchdown. That's okay. The fridge did. I know. That's kind of crappy. Atlantic Central, Southeast, Northwest, <laughs> Southwest, and Wait, Pacific. Wait, what are the divisions? In the Eastern Conference, Atlantic, Central, and Southeast. I did not know about the Southeast. The Heat, the Magic, the Hornets, the Wizards, and the, the Hawks. Southeast. The Northwest does have the Wolves, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Thunder, and the Trailblazers. Thunder in the Northwest. Pacific, and then the Southwest. Well, who's in the Southwest? What are we even doing? Southwest is the Mavs, the Rockets, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, like Texas. the Pelicans, yes. You know, see, the NFL does an amazing job of branding divisions. Phil is right. I mean, Coming up tonight on Thursday Night Football, it's a great NFC North yeah. division clash, right? Well, they don't, give, they me should, little, give me a little Southwest. They should do that. They should definitely do Southwest that Southwest battle. <laughs> no, it's not working for me. <laughs> uh, what, what, what would that sound like? <laughs> Coming up next. A great Southwest Division battle between Marcus Gasol and the Memphis Grizzlies. Does he even play for the Memphis Grizzlies I don't anymore? Think so. Find out next. Pretty sure he's in Toronto now. <laughs> what happens when a Southwest team plays a Northwest team? North by Southwest? Hold on, let me fire wow. it up and you can tell us. Wow. Tonight on TNT, it's a Northwest clash as they travel to the Southwest to play Luka and the Mavericks because the Northwest has the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Wolves, and the Blazers. Which one will it be? We don't know yet, but they'll be there. It's rain clouds versus assless chaps tonight on TNT. Oh, my favorite player, one team, Lawrence Taylor. Unbelievable Hall of Fame player. And the man was forever on drugs. It's unbelievable. <laughs> no, I'm serious. He spent the '80s coked up and dominating the NFL. He was oh like, he's like the running back. What's what's that movie? The Last Boy Scout, where the running back at the yes. beginning just like yes. shoots. I went and watched that after Rami, after Rami told us about it. I went. And I think I thought I was the only one who had seen that when I brought it up for the first time. Jonathan, you've never seen it. Uh, I don't know. Oh, you got to go is. watch it. What the is this movie? The linebackers in pursuit. Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans, dude. But the, just yeah. watch the start. Okay, you just gotta watch the start. see it. You gotta see so, it. First four minutes. Oh. First four minutes. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. YouTube, a guy, a guy, literally. Well, I shouldn't spoil it for him, should I? <laughs> no, you can spoil it, and it's even better when you know. Okay, so a guy is about to score a touchdown, right? Yeah. Running back gets the handoff, breaks free, clear open field, just one defender between him and Glory. <laughs> So he reaches into the back of his pants, pulls out a gun, no! and shoots this guy down. And he's got to score. He's got to score the touchdown, and the guy's in hot pursuit. And the look on the linebacker's face, well, it's remarkable. Wow. It's amazing. Okay, Vikings, are about, Vikings are about to win the Super Bowl. There's one man in pursuit. Roger Goodell not wanting the Vikings to win. Hey, man, win by any means necessary, right? <laughs> Looks like Kyle Rudolph can gain yards after the catch. Football! <laughs> right, what's the last? What if the round? NFL instead of protecting players and worrying about player safety, that was the route they went? You're allowed to bring one weapon out onto the field, like they just sent to hell with it. Who's the guy? Who's you the know what we could call it? It's like the purge. Yeah, yards after bullet. 
Who's the NFL player Jesus. bringing the nunchucks? This <laughs> just got so dark. Hey, it's in the movie. It's Judd, what did you expect? <laughs> it's in the movie. <laughs> Robbie told me about it. You like that? You like that? I'd bring a trident. How do we move on from this? You've got to watch it. It's that's amazing. Okay, during the break, during the break, before we before we officially get to Mackie and Jeb with Robbie, you got to watch it. All right, the Raiders are set to play their final game in Oakland this weekend, as they will begin play next year in Las Vegas. Guys, is Vegas actually going to work as the home of an NFL franchise? Is it going to be better than LA? Yes. Think about how great it was for hockey. Okay, and hockey's not nearly as popular especially in that part of the country, as the NFL. Mm-hmm. So you've got the number one gambling sport. The only thing I would question, you're going to fill the stadium every single week. There's going to be rabid fans. There's going to be a local... If, if there was a local rabid fan base for the hockey team, there's going to be one for the NFL team. But it's also going to be, if you think the Pittsburgh Steeler fan base fills stadiums and travels along, that's mm-hmm. like the fan base. That's, that's what I was just going to say. Every fan base is going to say... Because imagine you and your buddies, your Vikings fans, and the Vikings play... Why well, we should go to a road game this year, right? One road game every year. Well... It's going to be Vegas. Right. It's the cheapest Road one to get fans are going to go to Vegas. Yep, 100%. Spirit flights all day. <laughs> oh, it's going to be... It, it's it, an advertisement. Yeah. It's going to be... Said no one ever. It's going to be huge. <laughs> Do you know how big this is going to be? This yeah. is going to be the greatest. And in fact, I think that this will be... The, the uh, hockey team is a great story, and I think they have established probably more of a fan base locally than I thought. But I think this is going to be the start now of, of while they'll still be popular... This is going to become the biggest thing. And I am waiting. Where's the NBA? Right. The NBA is the most progressive league, right? How are they not there? Why aren't you there? Why aren't you there? Yeah, they do. do. You, well, are you really afraid of something here? Well, well, they've been doing summer league there for years. I know. So maybe that's maybe. Would uh, they expand or would they move a team? Well, personally, I, I would always move teams, but I bet they expand because they'll get so much from the expansion fee. Yeah. I'm going to say yes because. Uh, Raiders fans are nuts. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people in the black... That's what they... The black hole, is that what they call yep. it, right? Their fan section? The Who are weekly making that flight sure. from Oakland to Las Vegas. That's got to be what? Like a 45-minute, one-hour flight from Oakland to Las Vegas? That's nothing. And those people are psychos. They are insane for the Oakland Raiders. It's ridiculous. Yes, they will They will travel. Yeah. So this has been a Mackie and Joe with Rami hijacking of Purple Daily's Hot Routes. You can find all of Matthew Collar's stuff from L.A. the last couple days. Purple Daily in Hollywood these last couple days at scorenorth.com, the Scorenorth app, Apple or Spotify. Mackie and Jellarami officially starting next with the return of maybe their best offensive weapon and write that down in an hour. This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.